Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. We'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan. Dude, let's go be butterflies and go be anywhere. I want to be a butterfly. They are awesome. They do eat dead things, FYI. Cool. I mean, we already eat dead things. That's true. <laughs> I mean, they're so, kind of always dead when we eat the things. At least I hope so. <laughs> wow, this took a turn real quick. <laughs> oh, late night podcast recording is awesome. Today we'll be discussing Sustained by Emma Chase. Jake is a criminal defense lawyer and he's good at his job. He likes to live a complication-free life and it's been working out for him until he meets Chelsea. Chelsea's life is anything but uncomplicated. She's the legal guardian of her six nieces and nephews and she has no support network until Jake steps in. Soon, Jake is living the family life even though he's always told himself that that's what he's never wanted. Being with Chelsea and the kids feels right, but Jake isn't sure he knows how to be the man Chelsea deserves. There will be spoilers beyond this point. So Erica, how do we meet the man whore? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry for cackling. Um... (laughs) cackling can't be helped because you're right it's just so at the beginning of the book there's a prologue and we meet jake and we are introduced to jake's pattern and jake's pattern basically consists of picking up a hot chick bringing her home having wonderful sex sleeping waking up at 5 a.m no matter what time he went to bed and going out for a run and telling whoever he brought home don't let the door hit you. Basically. <laughs> Basically. He has this little speech that he gives where he says, I'm going for a run. There's coffee in the pot and cab money on the front table. You don't need to be here when I get back. <laughs> uh, Prince among men. Uh, well, at least he's honest, I guess. That is, that is the one positive aspect to that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jake is a criminal defense lawyer. He works with a group of his friends, uh, Stanton, Sophia, and Brent. And Stanton and Sophia are a couple. And I think they're from the first book in this series because this is the second book in the series. Yeah, they are. And so (laughs) we see Jake at work. And he is having a meeting with one of his clients whose name is Milton Bradley. And this client is like 20 years old or something like that. And he's just a major fuck up. But that's Jake's job is to get fuck ups off the hook. And he's really, really good at it. Milton is in there because he had a DUI. Is it a DUI or does he like piss off a flight attendant or something? It's like a drunken public, but like on a plane. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a disorderly, disorderly conduct. Yeah. And Milton tries to be all whatever about it. Milton thinks he's a cool kid. Yes. And he's used to getting off the hook 
for things and doing whatever that he wants without consequence, like smoking. And Jake yes. does not appreciate the smoking. And he, in a manly fashion, intimidates him until he stops because he's not putting up with his bullshit. I must admit, I do appreciate Jake's snarky commentary. That was one thing that I actually did think was quite funny about the book. And I frequently laughed. So that's something. Yeah, Jake's pretty snarky, pretty tongue in cheek, even about himself, I think. He's like, I know I'm intimidating and I'm doing this on purpose. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He has an unscheduled uh, appointment after he meets with Milton. And it's a young woman who says that they know each other. And apparently she was a one night stand a while ago. She had a cheating ex and then slept with Jake and then found out that she got syphilis from her cheating ex. And now she has to tell her sexual partners that she had syphilis and maybe they should go get checked out. And the only person she slept with was Jake. Yeah, it does take Jake a little bit of time to figure out who she is because there's been so many. Yes, he even describes her as, you know, forgettable or something like that. Like pretty, but forgettable. She's not the few, the proud. (laughs) (laughs) But Jake is really, really, I think, realistically freaked out by this. Yeah. Yeah, I honestly really liked the beginning of this. I was kind of wondering if he and Lainey would be... I was wondering if that was their meet-cute. I was like, this is actually a really interesting meet-cute. I'm on board for this. But no, that doesn't happen. (laughs) You're on board for the, oops, I got syphilis meet-cute? you know? It's different. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's different, all right. (laughs) I'm not going to argue with you on that one. I was like, okay, let's see how this goes. Oh, no. It goes in a different direction. Okay, fine. Uh, we get treated to a little bit of Jake's backstory. He was, he he is a reformed bad boy. So when he was a minor, he had a big temper problem. He got in a lot of trouble and they wanted to try him as an adult. But the judge saw there was something worth saving there and kind of I mean he didn't adopt him but kind of like he mentored him yeah he was the father figure in his life because his own father was another crappy daddy yeah Jake has learned to keep all that kind of stuff under wraps you know he's got tattoos like he even I think he has like a, a sleeve almost and he just wears long sleeves and no one sees them except when he's naked but he's in control, you know? He's he's very much about, like, I'm controlling this piece of myself. And the only time I let the bad boy come out is when I'm on the prowl for a lady. Because that's what ladies like. Lucky ladies. <sighs> yeah. So, right, he gets tested for syphilis. Much to my chagrin at certain points in the story, he does not have syphilis. So... But he's decided to learn from this. Mm-hmm and does not want to have one night stands anymore now he's going to quote date he asks his friends like how many dates before you get to the fucking and they're like three and that's a long time for him he is not pleased with this well you know i mean you're not usually going on a date like three nights in a row so well he's like so the earliest i can fuck is sunday because he's thinking like all these dates i guess are gonna happen like within the next three days yeah and i mean up to this point he hasn't had any sex since he learned he might have syphilis because you know he may be a jerk but he's not unethical so yay (laughs) you know he's not not fucking while he might have syphilis 
Nicholas. Which is good. But he's got like this major dry spell. You know, that's all he's thinking about, basically. Well, when you have something taken away from you, a defining aspect of your life. Makes sense that he would think about it a lot. (laughs) We meet another of his clients, or we learn about another of his clients, who is named uh, Senator Holton. And Senator Holton is a career politician who is charged with several counts of aggravated assault against his wife of 30 years. Yes, and he's good friends with Jake's boss, of course. Yes, and so defending Holton for Jake is like a feather in his cap as far as work goes. That'll help him get partner. Yeah, if he's successful with uh, helping out Holton, then he basically can shoot to the top. And he wants to. Like, he's career-minded and he, he wants to do well at that firm. Yeah, he's very much just, oh, I'm gonna focus on my job. Everyone else has baggage. Everyone else has a relationship or family or something else going on that is stealing their focus. And I can put all my focus on my career. So I'm going to do awesome. And as he's walking down the street, he runs into a kid, like literally bumps into a kid, kid falls down and then runs off. And almost immediately after Jake realizes, hmm, my wallet is missing. And he realizes the kid took his wallet. And so he starts chasing him. The kid is like a little shit about it too. Because he thinks that the old man can't catch him. <laughs> you know, nya, nya, nya. Very much so. <laughs> um, but Jake does catch him. Yes, because Jake gets what he wants. And grabs him uh, by his shirt. I don't know. It's very problematic because, you know, a 30-year-old dude chasing after a young boy, grabbing him and shaking him and yelling at him. I'm surprised he didn't get, like, more trouble than he did, but he ends up... This is the fantasy land in which there are no consequences for Jake, though. <laughs> oh, Em's not pulling any punches today. <laughs> no, she's too tired, too. <laughs> but the kid is, like, screaming, you're not my father, I don't know you, help. And Jake is, like, shaking him, like, can you please just give me my fucking wallet back? And a cop comes over, but Jake knows this cop. And so he doesn't get in trouble. Nope. And the kid comes up with this lie. Oh, he's my babysitter. Which, okay. The cop buys this story. (laughs) And then he leaves. And then Jake gets his wallet back. But he starts interrogating the kid. Like, who are you? Where do you live? The kid's like, I'm not telling you anything. Jake says, well, you can either get dropped off at the police station or I'll drive you home and talk to your parents. So the kid says that Jake can drive him home. Now, as they're driving home, we learn that this kid is named Rory and he's nine years old. When they get to the house, it's it's in a really rich neighborhood. It's a really nice house. But when they get to the house, an extremely hot young lady answers the door. And since Jake is thinking with his dick all the time, he's super into her immediately. Yeah, to a kind of creepy degree. <laughs> like everything about her, like that he sees through his one eye. That's what it is. Ew. It's totally true though. I don't like <sighs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't like Jake particularly all that well. I'm picturing like a periscope <laughs> like sticking up out of the waistband of his pants like when she's counseling the kids on on what to do when she's making dinner when she's it's like every single thing it's like oh her tits her ass her everything that turns them on i'm like come on buddy i am so bored can you not (laughs) (laughs) 
gets introduced to her. Her name is Chelsea. He says, I need to speak to you about your son. And she's all, okay, come on in. He keeps getting interrupted as he's trying to tell her what's going on with Rory, you know, having stolen his wallet. And it turns out there's a lot of kids living in this house. Yes. (laughs) Kind of on trap level. There's six children living in this house. And while he's trying to talk to Chelsea about Rory, he finds out that she's actually the aunt, not Rory's mom, but she's the legal guardian of all these kids because her brother and her sister-in-law died in a car accident two months ago. Yeah, which actually at the very start of the story, you hear about like her brother and the car accident. So while Jake is, you know, in, oh no, I might have syphilis land, Chelsea is dealing with... Oh no, my brother and sister-in-law died and hello, six children. Yes. <laughs> She's adulting hardcore. She is. And Chelsea is, is a pretty strong person, I think, because she was a grad student at Berkeley. She was basically raised by her brother and his wife because her parents were dead so when her brother dies like that's her family like that's all she had and so all she has left are these six kids and so she just leaves school moves across the country to washington dc and becomes mom basically yeah and she's doing the best she can yeah it's not like she went through a gradual process of like one kid then another it's insta kids yeah insta kids and one of the kids is like 14 and chelsea's 26 But she's doing the best she can and she's treading water and she's got her head up above the water and basically not drowning. When Jake tells her, Rory took my wallet, she's just like, (laughs) oh, great. (laughs) Oh, no, not more. More drama. (laughs) When Jake leaves, he's still he's he's still like, you know, she's super hot, but this is not my circus. These are not my monkeys. I do not want any part of this. But hey, if she wants to fuck, she could call me. And so he gives her his card and asks her on a date, kind of. Yes, he's trying to put out the feelers for dating, which he's never done before. He's new to dating. (laughs) He's a dating virgin. Yeah. And Chelsea says, well, it's nice to be asked, but I doubt I'm going to have a free night anytime soon. Six kids, dude. Thanks. (laughs) From 14 to what? One or two or something? Well, no, there's the the two-year-old and then there's the baby. Right. So less than one. Every Sunday, Jake goes and visits the judge, the one who rescued him when he was a kid. Atticus Faulkner. The judge is... Yes, the judge is named Atticus Faulkner. He's Jake's hero. Here, I'll I'll read it. It says, He wasn't always the way he is today. Ten years ago, he cut an imposing figure, tall, strong for his 70 years, and active, with green eyes that seemed to see straight into your soul. He was a living, breathing lie detector with a brilliantly intimidating legal mind. And he was my hero. Everything I wanted to be. Everything my real father never was. But life's a bitch sometimes. Six years ago, he was diagnosed with advanced Alzheimer's. The judge is living in an assisted living facility because he has Alzheimer's. And sometimes he has really good days and sometimes he doesn't. But every Sunday, Jake visits him because the judge doesn't have a family. The law was his family. (laughs) You know, it's kind of funny because that's kind of the road Jake's going down too. Yeah. I could see at this point in the story, Jake is going to someday be an old dude living in assisted living with no one 
who loves him or knows him or cares about him. Totally. <laughs> Except some rando kid he saves. <laughs> this would be a lovely moment if that seemed to like impact his character at all. That would have been nice. Yeah, he doesn't really realize. I don't think he realizes this. But yeah. Yeah. So it's either going on in the back of his brain or it's not going on at all. We're really not sure. The hamster might be dead. But he visits with the judge and reads the news to him and tells him about his life. And sometimes the judge remembers stuff. Sometimes the judge knows who he is. Sometimes he doesn't. This time the judge is reminiscing about this kid that served probation under his supervision who happens to have been Jake. He doesn't know that's who Jake is, but the judge says, do you think you could find him for me? And Jake says, I did find him for you. I checked up on him. He's doing really well. You don't have to worry. He's on his way to making partner. And he asked me to tell you how grateful he is for everything you did for him. All the things you taught him. He hopes he wants to make you proud. And the judge looks relieved and he says, I'm sure I would be proud. So I guess this is the point where we're supposed to be like, oh, Jake has a heart of gold. Yeah, if only I had a heart of gold. Because he cares about this dude. At this point in the book, I was still rooting for Jake. I was like, you know, he could still pull his head out of his ass. I was hopeful, sort of. It's more like <laughs> a, I guess at this point in the story, I was hopeful-ish. Because I think at that point, you kind of understand that this world is Jake's oyster. So nothing's really going to be an obstacle for him or push him to change or anything yeah jake is very much the main character in his story yeah i think it's told in the first person isn't it oh yeah it is but yeah the world revolves around jake which that alone is not it's more just like the what's an obstacle to him like what is what's gonna turn him into someone who might see chelsea as a person that would be nice jake's only real obstacle is Jake. I mean, he's an obstacle to himself, but he's not... I think Jake lacks a certain amount of self-awareness. I feel like Jake isn't a very introspective person. I think Jake, in a lot of ways, reminds me of the Kristen Ashley heroes. And we all know how much I love them. So I think that's part <laughs> of it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's one of these guys again. All right. So it sounds like what you're saying is Jake. Jake is the pilot of the story and the story goes in whatever direction yeah. jake wants it to almost like he's lucid dreaming and he's making it up as he goes i mean there's some external consequences but some things that he he does later on in the story like with the kids where i'm just going okay this might be something that could backfire you know because chelsea's parenting skills come into question who she might allow into their life might come into yeah. question, but nothing comes of it. No, Jake's the hero. Oh, like the time he brings, like the time he brings the twin nine-year-old boys yes. into a heroin With den. Scantily clad, well, people in general, but specifically women. One of them starts hitting on Rory or something weird. Like the takeaway is him just like turning to the boys and being like, "That's bad. Don't do that." <laughs> and it's like, Okay, I mean, this is this is not supposed to be, like, realistic parenting at all. I mean, this is, this is a story. <laughs> I remember reading that part and thinking, okay, this is what's going to be the major conflict. You know, Jake didn't realize you can't take kids into a place where there's heroin out <laughs> and naked women all over the place. 
and there's going to be fallback from this, but there never no, is. No, there's never fallback for him for any of the things that he does. Which I mean, some of them are. That's an especially bad one, yeah. though. Yeah, no, that that I really thought. Or <laughs> when he was encouraging Ray to hit his bully. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, there there should have been some some fallback, some anything, and there really isn't. There's no consequences from Chelsea either. Not really. We're getting ahead of this. Let's let's go back. Let's rewind a little bit. He visited the judge and then a couple days go by and he gets another unscheduled appointment at work and it's Chelsea with all the kids in tow except for Rory because Rory stole a Ferrari 458 Italia limited edition and then crashed it (laughs) and now is in juvie and Chelsea's like, so maybe you could help us with that? (laughs) Uh, Jake gets various people in the office to babysit most of the children. And then they go to where Rory is and... Get him out of trouble. Yeah, he gets Rory out of trouble. He goes to bat for him. He makes a deal with the social worker, Janet. There's going to be counseling. Which, you know, fair enough. He's a nine-year-old who just lost his parents. He's going through some things. You know, granted, that's kind of extreme, but, you know... The story's all about rehabilitation of youths. And while he's there, he runs into Lisa, who is a probation officer, I think. But anyway, ends up making a sort of a date with her. Mm, Fuck date. Yeah, I think they were friends with benefits kind of before. And she's eager to rekindle this relationship with him because she broke up with whoever she was with. I did not retain the name. (laughs) He was that significant. Later, he does use the phone number. He meets up with her and he's about to break his dry spell. And then he gets a phone call from a cop who picked up a kid at a party where there was underage drinking. And this kid gave the cop Jake's card and wouldn't give any other info. Turns out it's Riley, the oldest child in the family. Yes, the 14-year-old girl. Riley did not want to bother Chelsea and wake her up. So she, you know, had no problem bothering Jake, who she's been giving shit to. Yeah. Because she's 14. You know, like a typical teen. But Jake gives the cop, you know, Riley's info. And then he's like, okay, this isn't my problem. But then he's thinking about it. Chelsea's going to be tired. She's going to have to get all those kids out of bed just to pick up Riley. What if they get in a car accident? What if something horrible happens? You know, and so he ends up telling Lisa that he's going to have to have a rain check on the sex and goes out and he calls Chelsea and says he's going to pick up Riley for her and drop her off. He brings Riley home and then he and Chelsea kind of have like moment Chelsea gives Jake a little info about her backstory she's an art history major she's a really good sketch artist and she's 15 years younger than her her late brother and when her parents passed away she was about 14 or so and she moved in with her brother and his family and so she's really close with them yeah she'd almost be like an older sister to riley really because that's kind of the age difference between chelsea and riley 
Yeah, and so they have they have a good moment there, you know, where Chelsea opens up to him. He's into her, even though he's learning about her, which is unusual for Jake. Normally he doesn't want to know anything about the women he's into. And he gets ready to kiss her, and then one of the kids calls, and so he leaves and goes home. Uh, Stanton, Jake's friend from work, has a young daughter named Presley, who's about the same age as Riley. And Stanton has this idea that he and Presley and Jake and Riley can all go to a One Direction concert. He thinks that'll be fun for Presley to have another girl around her own age to go with. Stanton has shared custody of his daughter. I'm assuming that Presley doesn't have any friends in the area, which is why he's inviting the drinking 14-year-old to meet his daughter. I, I don't know. Well, no, because they spent time when uh, Jake went to go bail out Rory. Oh, yeah, that's right. He met her. So Presley and Riley spent time together, so they bonded. And, of course, at that age, you know, it's pretty realistic to be, you know, oh, my gosh, I like that band, too. Best friends. Yeah, I guess that's true. And Presley probably doesn't have many friends in that area. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking it was more along those lines, like, well... Presley doesn't have any friends around here, but here's this girl who's about her age. They can be friends. Yeah. I mean, they get it okayed by Chelsea. But yes, Jake accompanies Riley and Stanton and Presley to the One Direction concert. And it's just amazing. And Presley and Riley are BFFs now. And when they get home from the concert, Riley wants to spend the night at Presley's house. And of course she gets to... So for some reason, while all this is going on, Brent is there and needs a ride home. And that's why Jake can't stay later and have some alone time with Chelsea. Was he helping babysit with Chelsea? Uh, I don't know. But Brent kind of teases him a bit and he says, you got this whole knight in shining armor vibe going on. And Jake says, my armor was tarnished a long time ago. And Brent says, a knight in tarnished armor is still a knight. Which I liked that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a couple days go by again, I think. I don't know. Time is weird in this book. And Jake is, is working late. And he gets a phone call from Chelsea. Or he thinks it's from Chelsea. But it turns out it's from the seven-year-old named Rosaline. Who's like, hi, Jake. I'm making chicken soup. Because everyone else here is sick. <laughs> and then Jake hears like a huge shriek from the fire alarm. Rosaline says, whoops, gotta go. <laughs> Bye. Fictitious uh, kids. <laughs> Which, I don't know, it was kind of like a, like a comedy movie moment for me, I think. Yeah, I love the kids in this book. I think they're great. Yeah, that is one thing about this book that is really good is that the kids are really well written, I feel. I do too. <laughs> they're seriously probably my favorite part of this book. They're very funny. <laughs> but Jake is like, this is not my problem. People are fine all the time. They get sick all the time. Fire alarms go off all the time. It's fine. But he just can't, can't let it go. And they're not answering the phone. So he's like, well, I could call 911 or I could drive out there. And so he decides he's going to drive right out there and see what's going on. Because he's a knight. He wants to protect. He lets himself in with the key under the mat and basically rescues Chelsea. Because, you know, the house isn't on fire. <laughs> Woohoo! 
but I don't know if you've <laughs> if you've ever been the lone adult in the house sick taking care of children who are also sick you will understand Chelsea's pain. <laughs> so much pain. <laughs> oh my god, I so felt Me for too. Chelsea. He like picks her up off the floor and she's crying. And he says, why are you crying? And she says, I'm just so tired, Jake. I'm so tired. Yeah. She's broken. (laughs) Which I don't... I get it, you know? But but Jake puts her to bed, makes sure all the kids are in bed, makes sure everyone's clean and has puke buckets and all this. And he gets advice from, was it Stanton? Yes, he calls his friend... Stanton who you know is a parent and gets advice like all the things he needs to be a nanny or a nurse and then Rosaline is sick now too yeah I loved that part I knew that was and then as soon as the dog (laughs) came in I was like yep we all know where this is going oh my gosh ew oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) That's a little bit too much real life there. (laughs) Yeah, it was very real. (laughs) But he does a really good job. You know, he knows. He he knows how to adult. He's good at it. You know, he's doing laundry like a boss, making sure everyone's drinking, you know, their Gatorade and resting and all this. And it's kind of like a cozy thing, you know? It's a very family-esque sort of moment. Yeah, it was very sweet. I liked it. <laughs> and so he stays with them, I think, for two days. And Chelsea is finally feeling better. And she's just like, thank you so much. I'll never be able to repay you. And then she offers to make him dinner to show how much she appreciates him. And so he's like, obviously, yes, of course, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> Because he's thinking about dessert. Yes. And he says he'll bring the Goonies with him. Which just made me want to watch the Goonies. Because the kids have never seen the Goonies. Like, oh, I don't want to watch that. It's been ages. I hate the Goonies. <gasps> no! What? I do. I do. How are we friends? I don't know. <laughs> this might explain why we've never watched the Goonies together. <laughs> <laughs> we tried once and I just couldn't watch it. I blocked this out. I'm sorry. I love the Goonies. I know. Everyone loves the Goonies except me. It's okay. (laughs) I understand. You outlier, you. (laughs) So Friday night comes around and he shows up at the house, but Chelsea isn't alone. Her friends from college are there visiting her. They had decided to fly out and surprise her. And so her friends are Nikki, Kevin, and Lucas. And Nikki and Kevin, I think, are a couple. Yeah, I don't know. They're kind of just talking heads a little bit. I didn't get a good sense of who they were. Yeah, you really don't. But you do get a sense of Lucas because Lucas is like, no, Chelsea's mine. You know, like you get like that kind of impression from him. Yeah, it's more for the jealousy and the possessiveness. Woohoo. Although I think Jake handled it really well. Like he didn't tell Chelsea that she couldn't go out with them or anything like that or spend time with them. He's very supportive, which I think, good job, buddy. I kind of feel like it was really shitty what Chelsea did. So Lucas kind of finds out that Jake's been helping out a lot with the kids. And so he's all, oh, good. He can watch the kids while we all go out. And Jake's like, 
Um, okay, I guess, if that's what you want to do, Chelsea. And then Chelsea says, okay. Yeah, but Chelsea has no spine. Yeah, I I don't know. Like, I was trying to figure out what was going on in her brain. Like, is she just letting her friends push her around? Does she feel guilty because they flew out to see her? She frequently lets people push her around. Or is it just that she so wants to have, like, some time alone without the kids, you know, with her old life? I think it's both of those things, which her her notion of adult time has changed. Or what grown-up fun is, basically. Because I think at one point, you know, the California people are there, like, smoking pot or whatever in the backyard, which makes Jake grumpy. I mean, clearly these are her friends, so theoretically she fit in with this crowd at one point, she doesn't now. Because she was like, oh, that made her uncomfortable, but she didn't do anything about it. She didn't tell him to stop. Yeah, it really made Chelsea just look like a, like a doormat. She is. She's a hot doormat. <laughs> this scene just drives it home. She's a good girl hot doormat. <laughs> That is what she is. <laughs> Sorry, Chelsea. That's a lot of her function in the story. So I think when her her friends flew out all that way, cross country, I felt like she probably didn't think that she could say no. And Jake is being supportive too. Like he's like, no, no, if you want to go have fun, go have fun. You know, I think if Jake had asserted and said, you can't go, I don't know. I don't know what Chelsea would have done, actually. Because I don't think she would have crossed Jake, but uh, she would have been in quite the pickle. Because she wouldn't have wanted to cross Jake and she wouldn't have wanted to let her friends down. Her head might have exploded or something. This scene just made me really dislike Chelsea. <laughs> I didn't like that she did it either. Whereas up until this point, I just felt sorry for Chelsea, but now I also don't like Chelsea. I don't know. There were moments with her that were really relatable for me, but there were moments that really weren't. This, for me, wasn't necessarily a relatable moment, but I don't dislike that she made that choice. I think this was like an instance of her actually saying something that she wanted. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Which, that really didn't happen much, if ever, else in the rest of the story. <laughs> I don't like that she did it either. I felt like she should have kept her plans, since they didn't tell her they, you know... You don't just drop into somebody's life. Not to that extreme. I mean, there's nothing wrong with like, okay, you're planning, you have a date planned. He shows up, but surprise, you have surprise visit from your friends from across the country. I don't see why you couldn't just turn it into a group thing and say, hey, you know, I'm really sorry, but can this be a group thing? Because my friends surprised me. That would have been a more diplomatic way of handling it, but I think Chelsea... <laughs> just goes with the flow path of least resistance jake wasn't putting up any resistance so she's like okay and maybe she did want to go be out of the house away from children yeah i don't know and you're right though because it i mean she is a doormat because lucas tells her oh you should get changed because you look hot but you look like a mom and so she's like oh okay i'll get changed yes yeah we really like lucas <laughs> like she just takes direction <laughs> Oh, Lucas is an asshole. Oh, totally. Because, <laughs> totally. yeah, so Jake stays and babysits the kids while they're out, but everyone falls asleep and Jake wakes up to noise and he goes into, I think, the living room. 
Yeah, downstairs, because I think it's like a couple stories. Yeah, and Lucas is on top of Chelsea, grinding on her, and she's just like, stop, get off of me. He's like, no, let me do this. This infuriates Jake, and he pulls Lucas off of her, and he's drunk, I guess, or high. He's inebriated. (laughs) I think he was high when he, I don't know, maybe he's still high. Maybe that is just his consistent state. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, Jake is, like, listening because he hears sounds, so he's listening, and he he can tell that, that Chelsea and Luke are, I don't know, making out or something. He doesn't do anything until it sounds like Chelsea's in distress. Then he's like, oh, fuck this. He is very good about yeah. it, you know? He isn't pushy, like, no, mine. It's more like, she said no, now you can sleep in your car. Yes. It got a little intense there with the choking. Like, the punching, I was like, okay. But then when he starts to, like, choke him? Oh, right, he has anger issues that are probably undealt with because therapy. Okay. (laughs) He is not a therapy for everyone sort of person, I don't think. No. But we are. We are. And there's a couch somewhere for Jake. There is. A big couch. a very manly proportioned (laughs) couch. (laughs) Because he is all about the manly. Yeah, and Jake is pissed. I think just everything has has hit him at this point. This was the straw. He was expecting this date. He was expecting all this stuff. It didn't happen. He's been trying to be nice. He's been trying to be a grown-up. And then Lucas tries to molest Yeah, I mean, Chelsea. we don't know where exactly it would have gone, but we have a good idea. He takes this all out on Chelsea At first, Chelsea is just kind of shaken because, oh my god, I just got sexually assaulted. And then I watched a dude choke another dude. (laughs) It's been, you know, (laughs) intense. She doesn't take Jake's shit this time. No. Jake is like, do you know what could have happened to you if I wasn't here? And he's in his past because his father beat his mother. Yes. And so he's... He's thinking about men hurting women here. Yeah, that's his headspace. And Chelsea says, contrary to what you think, I'm not stupid. I'm grateful that you were here and now you can go. Yeah. And Jake says, I'm not going anywhere as long as he's outside. And Chelsea says, fine, enjoy the couch. And she walks off to her room. That's the couch you can use in therapy. Yay. (laughs) So did Chelsea redeem herself at all? I know I kind of called her a doormat, but which in that moment, she actually wasn't. She stood up for herself. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't think it was redemption worthy, but it did. I was happy that she spoke up for herself. Do you think that made her more of a person either to the reader or to Jake? She still felt really passive to me. Like she was, you know, Lucas's fuck doll and now she's Jake's fuck doll. Like, I just, I don't know. Yeah, I remember Jake accused her and she's like, that's none of your business. And I think he just took that as an affirmation, but I can't remember. Right. I don't know. I think, I think the way she behaved in that moment was realistic. I think it made sense for her to be angry about Jake being upset. Like, hey, it's not my fault that Lucas did this you know don't blame the victim yeah because that's what she accuses him of doing she's like no wonder you're such a good defense attorney because you're really good at blaming the victim yes I know he takes it as a low blow but I'm not sure if it really stays with him beyond this moment yeah I don't think it does what do you think do you think this makes her more human 
I think this is probably one of the moments in the story where she's the most, like this section. Yeah, she did something that I don't necessarily think that she should have with the whole like, bye, Jake, I'm going to go out with my friends. But she made a choice, so yay. And I think her doing something that I don't like humanizes her because of that whole good girl thing, like always doing things that won't be offensive to somebody else. And maybe we needed that scene too to show that Chelsea has come to the realization that she can't go back to the way things were. Yeah, she needs to confront her former life and be like, no, no, you have moved in a different direction from where you were. Yeah, because her friends are still, they're still kids, you know, even though they're her age. Yeah, I think they even mentioned like Lucas still lives at home with his parents and living off of them. And he's, I'm assuming, her same age of 26 or thereabouts. So no, I think this little stretch in the story is probably when she's the most, most human, most person-like. Because otherwise she just, she's sort of there for Jake to save. I agree. Okay, back to the story. Jake apologizes to Chelsea. He kind of talks himself into her bedroom and she asks him if he was jealous of Lucas. And Jake kind of admits that he was. Yeah, he's honest. He opens up a bit. And she asks, well, do you want me? And he's like, I can't remember not wanting you anymore. And so they start making out and it's it's pretty hot, I think. But then the baby starts crying. Of course. <laughs> Because they can sense that shit. Yes, they can. So he asks her out the next night. He's like, I want to take you out on a date. And she says, I don't have anyone to watch the kids. And he says, I'll handle it. The next day or the next night, he shows up. He's ready to take her out. And his mom comes over. He's got his mom and his stepdad to babysit the kids. What did you think about the mom? I don't know. I think in some ways, like, because we find out more about the mom character later. I think at this point, we we know she was abused by her husband. And we do find out that she joined the military, became a mechanic, pulled herself up by her bootstraps. She's not there very much, so it's it's hard to get a good sense of her. I liked her... Okay, I mean, she clearly knew what she was doing. She, you know, they had the, like, line of children greeting her, and she sized everybody up, and she clearly seemed like she could handle the situation. But as far as as a personality, I mean, she didn't overly stand out to me that much. Neither did her, her spouse, Owen. What about you? Well, the reason I asked you is because for me, there's kind of a discrepancy for me in her character from what we see when she's there babysitting the kids and she's very take charge and self-possessed versus what we hear about her history, how she was in an abusive relationship and rescued by her kid. Yeah. And then her kid ends up being a huge troublemaker. Yeah. And it just seems like odd that she would have a kid who's a huge troublemaker and she needs to rely on this outside male role model of the judge to straighten him out. But now she knows what's what and takes charge and gets it. Yeah. I I must admit, I don't think I gave that much thought to her character. Although I see what you mean by there being a disconnect. Yeah. Not to say that, you know, you can't be a strong parent and still need outside help. I think that's completely valid. But the way she's portrayed in this scene doesn't 
stack up well with what we know of her history i think no especially where as far as we know jake is her only kid so she doesn't have experience managing multiple children you know she kind of steps in as like the i'm the grandmother already let's bake cookies now part of it too could be that she was pretty young when she had jake and she's since matured yeah because yeah, i think she was 15 or something when she had jake let's see when jake's dad took off jake was eight and his mom was 24 okay. so she had jake when she was 16 so how old is she now in the story do we know how old jake is jake is 30 okay yeah she's like 46 the glimpse that we get of her doesn't seem to stack up with the character we assume that she is like you said, that needed to be rescued by her son. Right. But maybe we can chalk that up to her military service? Not not to go too far into the weeds here, but the part that I can forgive or the part that I can understand, like due to her maturing or whatever, is the beginning where she's in an abusive relationship and her eight-year-old saves her from his own father. Yeah, because he goes to where his dad keeps the gun and pulls the gun on his dad that part okay i can get it you know she was in one frame of mind and now the abuser is gone and she's like i'm not taking this anymore and changes her life around and she does at that point she's had eight years of abuse from when she was really young yes 16 to 24 but the part that that i'm struggling with really is her kid still being a screw-up like, why didn't she get him therapy or, I don't know, do something when it seems she's totally capable now when she's watching these kids? So I guess we need more information from year eight to, let's see, when does the judge come in his life? So that eight year time period. So she then joined the military and maybe that's the thing is she, she didn't have as much parenting time. So he was... Well, no, because, okay, so she joined the military and he was forever the the new mm-hmm. kid. And then when she got discharged, they settled in Baltimore and that's where she met Owen. And he's a mechanic also. And so they run their own shop. Jake got into a fight outside Owen's place and that's how they met. But when he was 15, he was running around with some kids that were older than him and they break into a sporting goods store. And one of the kids was carrying a weapon and ended up shooting a guard in the leg and when they run outside there's a squad car waiting and that's when he got arrested and the prosecutor wanted to charge Jake as an adult and the judge rescued him okay so this is after this happened after the mom got discharged and Owen was in his life yeah he's still kind of been a really angry kid I mean he's got anger issues he says he does and even if he had gotten therapy who knows how frequently he went I mean he seems like a very take charge of himself kind of character so yeah it may maybe she tried and the kid was just like no yeah and i mean there's there is a point where you can't blame the parent anymore you know but at the same time i'm kind of wondering what she did yeah who knows anyway (laughs) 
When he's out on this date with Chelsea, they run into a colleague of his named Tom Caldwell, who's the prosecutor for the U.S. Attorney's Office. And they're kind of friendly rivals-ish. Yeah, so they're nice to each other because they're not in the courtroom. Yeah, he doesn't dislike him, but he doesn't really like him either. I don't know. Yeah, he calls him, was it, a goody two-shoes and stuff like that. So Jake's condescending at least in his head, too, to Tom, but not to his face. There's that little banter thing. Is it at this moment when you realize that Caldwell is prosecuting the senator that Jake has been tasked with defending? I don't know if that's when we realize it, but we also, it it is mentioned at this point. That, yeah, Jake is the prosecutor in the assault trial against Holton. Yeah, I forget if if the assault was the whole case or if there were other elements and the assault was just one. There are prior cases that Holton got off from. Gotcha. So there's this history of Holton beating his wife. Yes, meet my wife, the punching bag. Yeah. He takes Chelsea home to his place and they finally have the sex. They do. And there's a part I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit um, where he's he wants to go down on her and she gets like really self-conscious about it. And she says, you know, I, I don't really usually come that way. He, he says, why not? And she's just like, well, I'm just up in my head about it. You know, I don't I'm, I'm thinking too much about the other person, you know, yeah. <laughs> which was relatable, I think. I think probably for a lot of women. But the thing that got to me about this scene was how he's like, well, I'm going to fix mm. that. Well, he is Mr. Fix-It. I mean, that's that's his function in the story. Chelsea has a problem, he fixes. It kind of took away from the scene for me, too, because it's potentially a hot scene. You know, I don't think the author writes it badly at all, but just the attitude of the guy, like, I'm gonna do this thing, I'm gonna play you like a fiddle, sort of thing. And I just, ugh, I don't know. It was gross to me. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, one of the things that I especially appreciate about romance novels is that there is a focus on female pleasure, typically in books. That's one of the things that's nice. Yay. But it kind of made it all about the guy still in this scene. Yeah, and I mean, this book is all about Jake. It makes sense. (laughs) I mean, her body basically exists for him him yeah and it's kind of hard too because i mean we're just in jake's head we're not in chelsea's head ever no but still (laughs) it's definitely just all about him him making her orgasm him knowing what she needs better than she does i think that was the crux of it i guess i'm not really surprised that the sex scene was written in this way in this section of the story is like this because chelsea's never really a person in the whole story i mean she kind of flirts with it (laughs) she flirts with humanity a few times (laughs) uh, or personhood or whatever she is there for jake so that she can get in trouble and jake can save her and so that jake can basically show off So they fuck all night and it's amazing and they fall asleep, but Jake still wakes up at 5 a.m. and starts his pattern. You know, he's had Chelsea over, they had sex finally, and he's about ready to tell her there's coffee in the pot and you don't need to be here when I come back. Yeah, I was really surprised that that was, I was like, wow, dude. Yeah, and there's not a whole lot here because it says he starts to tell her his little speech and it says the words taste bitter wrong 
But he still does it. Or he starts to, but Chelsea interrupts him. Yeah, I feel like maybe this would have made more sense in the story if there was some lead into that, you know, where Jake was kind of bulking more. I mean... Not just the funny snarky balking that he does through the story, but like more earnest balking with being a part of Chelsea and the kids' life. Because I must admit, I was sitting there going, wow, this feels like out of nowhere. Yeah, it just felt so weird because he's tried so hard. He almost feels robotic at that point. Yeah, this is where we realize Jake has this major disconnect. You know, he doesn't know how to relationship. He's never had to before. And now that he finally... He finally got to the finish line as far as he's concerned. And he's like, okay, now I tell you bye. And I start over with someone else. Yeah. And he even he has a little bit of an introspection uh, moment, too, when he goes jogging because he's trying to figure out, like, how is this chaos with Chelsea and the kids and all the stuff going to fit into my life? Because I can't be getting distracted. I need to be focused. Do you think since not all that long ago, Caldwell showing up at the restaurant maybe reminded him of work things? I don't think it's ever really put that way in the story. No, I don't think it's in the story I didn't go there. I kind of got whiplash at this point. I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, really? I know. I was really surprised. Because <laughs> I was like, wait, they had, they had the sex. The sex seemed good for them. He seemed like he was enjoying things and now bye. Yeah, it just didn't, it, make, it didn't make sense. It really didn't. And it doesn't make sense for Jake either. What do you mean? Because it feels wrong to him. Even though he's doing it, it feels wrong to him. Yeah, he doesn't actually do it, but he does try a couple of times. So then their morning is interrupted with a call from Jake's mom because <laughs> kids do the darndest things. <laughs> yep, Rory broke his arm. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, he climbed up the tree real well, but down not so much. <laughs> That's always how it goes, you know. <laughs> but Jake and, and Chelsea meet up with them at the hospital the doctor says you know it's a pretty easy break you know we don't have to do surgery to set the bone or anything and he says you guys can wait outside while we set the bone this is another i guess plus in the chelsea column because she stands up against the doctor and she's like no i'm gonna be here for rory even if it goes against protocol or whatever and if you're not gonna let me be in the same room with him then i'm gonna go to another hospital and i also think it's telling too because when she does that she loops jake in like we are going to stay here yeah because for chelsea she's a couple with jake they're they're together jake not so much <laughs> it's so sad because she's like me and my boyfriend are gonna stay in here meanwhile in jake's head he already tried to dump her a couple of times yeah it's weird right because jake his headspace is not there but he is acting like it is yes He's going through the motions. He's got this major disconnect there. The whole like almost breakup. That's foreshadowing because we know what Jake kind of ultimately wants to do. But Jake will show up and do the protector thing and sit with, with Rory through the bone setting. And then when the child services shows up, he goes into protector lawyer mode to save Chelsea yet again. And then we get to a point in the book where there are several vignettes of Jake being domestic they've just kind of settled into this life and so we have several scenes with jake interacting with the various kids and just being part of their life and taking on that parent type role and doing okay at it for the most part he spends most nights pretty late 
over at Chelsea's house, but he always goes home and sleeps at his house. There's one point where the twins, Rory and Raymond, tell him that Raymond's been getting beat up and bullied by a kid at school, and Jake does the... I guess kind of like a stereotypical dad thing. If you hit him, then he won't, then he'll leave you alone. Yes, because hitting solves everything. Well, that's the other thing. Because Raymond says, my dad used to say violence is never the answer. And Jake says, it isn't. But defending yourself isn't violence. There's a difference. (laughs) Which gives some insight into Jake's way of thinking. Oh, and then we have the weird scene where he takes the two boys to the heroin house. (laughs) Ugh. I guess we don't need to touch on that again. There is, there is a part at the end of the scene, though, where Jake tells the boys, you know, you can't do this. You can't act this way. You have to keep to your word. If a man doesn't have his word, he's not a man. And then Rory asks, did your dad teach you that? Did he show you how to be a man? He seems worried to Jake because, you know, he doesn't have a dad anymore. And Jake says, my dad was the kind of man I didn't want to be. But there was another guy, a friend, who wouldn't put up with any of my shit. He taught me everything I needed to know. So it kind of gives them some reassurance there. Like, you know, you don't need a dad necessarily to know how to be a man. And he even, he doesn't say this, but it's almost like, see, I can be this friend to you the way the judge was the friend to me. Like, again, there's that parallel there. Raymond takes Jake's advice and he does beat up the bully and he gets <laughs> he gets called into the principal's office. I think Chelsea calls Jake, but basically they want to expel Raymond for fighting because it boils down to the fact that they go to a private school and the other kids' parents are donors and the principal's trying to find, you know, an easy way to placate the donors. Jake goes to bat for them and does his lawyer thing and fixes it. (laughs) Mr. Fix-It. Yeah. But then later as they're leaving, Chelsea's telling Raymond, it's my job to protect you. I can't protect you if you don't tell me when someone is hurting you. And Raymond says, I told Jake and he helped me. And then Chelsea says, okay, so we'll talk about this at home. And then when they get home, Chelsea has a talk one-on-one with Jake and she's like, I thought I could depend on you. We're supposed to be a team. We don't always have to do what they ask us to do. She's upset because Jake didn't tell her that Raymond had been getting into problems at school. And he also didn't tell her about the heroin joint either. No. She never finds out about that. (laughs) But the thing is, is she's mad that he didn't talk to her about Raymond being bullied. Or she's mad. That's what she's mad about. Yeah, which he should have. Yeah, he should have. But she's not really that upset about him, you know, be a man and punch the bully. You know, that's fine. Well, Jake says it's okay, so it's okay. But she's like, it's us against them. You're supposed to be on my side, aren't you? And then he gets rushed with all these thoughts of, oh no, obligation, baggage, relationships, responsibility. Oh no, what does she want from me? I'm terrified. And then he's like, this is not my life. I have priorities and plans that, believe it or not, have nothing to do with anyone in this house and then Chelsea says my mistake thank you for clarifying that and she turns away and starts getting dinner ready and Jake's starting to like rethink it but they get interrupted by kids doesn't Rory come in and be like hey don't you want to come play Xbox Jake and then Chelsea's like uh Jake's not gonna be playing Xbox yeah and Jake's upset by this too he calls Chelsea on it he's like you can't hold the kids over my head do you think she is no 
I think what she said, though, was fucked up. I think that that when she said Jake can't play right now, he has to go back to his side of the field. She did that thing where she's like being passive aggressive, where she could have just said, no, Jake can't play right now. Yeah. Instead of commenting on the conversation they just had in that way. And I mean, I don't expect perfection from people. (laughs) I can understand why she was passive aggressive in that moment. But it wasn't right. You know, I think she could have done it better. But at the same time, she has a lot going on. Yeah, I can kind of understand why she might be a little lashy. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I get it. But then he's like, you can't hold them over my head. And I thought that was kind of messed up too. Because who is he to say that? This just shows that he is way more invested than he actually thinks he is. It does. It (laughs) totally does. Because it's like, uh, dude, they're not your nieces and nephews. What what are they to you? And then then their relationship transitions into the, he doesn't want to be with her, but he wants to be with the kids. It's weird. Yeah, it's odd. So, okay. So a day or two days later or something sometime later he's at work and he has another unscheduled appointment and it's mrs holton the senator's wife and she wants to speak to him he's not alone because stanton is there i think yeah they share an office yeah his secretary's like no you can't talk to him because because law he's on the other side of the courtroom Jake tells Mrs. Holton, he does this in a very hypothetical way, but he he tells her that, yes, if you witness against your husband in court, then we're going to be bringing up these things that you don't want brought up from your past to discredit you. Because winning. Right. And so Mrs. Holton goes back to Caldwell and says, I recant. I'm not going to do this. So then Caldwell confronts Jake about it and he's like, didn't this bother you at all? You know, this woman is terrified and you're defending a monster. You're doing the work of the devil. (laughs) (laughs) And Jake, he leaves work and goes out and gets drunk. And then he goes over to Chelsea's house and lets himself (laughs) in. Uh, which creepy move that key chelsea he finds her in the dark she's holding a baseball bat because she's terrified yeah because she hears somebody break into the house in the middle of the night we're not breaking <laughs> but enter uninvited and unbidden she realizes he's drunk he says he had a rough day at the office he says i had to see you you just make everything better and so she lets him stay over i'm so glad i can be a band-aid for you uh, he apologizes again i mean he's drunk but he apologizes yeah i do you feel that this was a moment for chelsea where she's just like i'm just so desperate i'll take you i don't think so because she tells him that he's one of the best men she's ever known which maybe from her perspective that makes a little (laughs) more sense because she also says that before he's like oh wait this is who i defended today and she's like oh um Right. Because, of course, from her perspective, he's just, he's the guy that shows up and fixes the things. Yeah. He defends her and her and her kids. Yeah. She's like, no, you're a defender. Just like you defended your mom. That's what you do. Oh, wait. I defended a man who beats his wife. Okay. That's a little bit harder sell. <laughs> but he goes to sleep. He spends the night. <sighs> And then the next day when they get up, they reconcile and they're back together again. It's all fixed. Yay. Just in time 
<laughs> for this shit to hit the fan. <laughs> oh, wait, it wasn't fixed. So they're getting domestic again, and it's wonderful. Yay, domesticity. This makes Jake, like, the prize employee at the firm where he works. He defended Holton, and the case was dropped because... Mrs. Holton didn't want to assist the prosecution anymore. Because she's terrified. Yeah, and Jake has this special meeting with Senator Holton that's supposedly going to be amazing and just kick his career into overdrive. And he gets interrupted with an urgent phone call from Chelsea and learns that the kids are getting taken away from her custody. He totally blows off the senator and his boss and goes to the rescue. Here he comes to save the day. Yeah, he gets there before (laughs) they leave because the social worker, Janet, that is their assigned social worker, is there and getting ready to take them to where they're going. And he talks to her and tries to talk her out of it. And then he's like, well, can they at least stay together? And, And Janet says, well, the family that they're going to this weekend... They can all go to, but after that, I don't know. And he promises the kids that he's going to bring them home on Monday. And then they're gone. (sighs) I don't know. I felt like this was the part that the book was building up to, and it didn't really last that long. Because the kids are gone. Jake gets his coworkers in on it. They do a bunch of studying up find out like all the different legal precedents and all that then on Sunday he takes Chelsea to meet the judge and the judge actually has a clear day and remembers him and so that's actually a really touching part and then as they're leaving the assisted living Chelsea asks Jake well what if we don't get the kids back and Jake's like I know people who can find out where the kids are and who make IDs and passports and stuff and if we lose I'll call them and you take out any money you can and leave (laughs) so he's Basically, he's like, okay, well, if this doesn't work, (laughs) then then we're going on the run, lady. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's the courtroom scene where he confronts or (laughs) confronts, I guess, cross-examines. What do they call it? (laughs) Yeah, he's questioning the director of of the Child and Family Services Agency, whose name is Dexter Smead. (laughs) But he does his best to discredit Smead. Mm-hmm. And he does a really good job because Smeed says, well, the reason we took the kids is because I looked at the case and, you know, we had one kid get picked up for drinking, another kid stole a car and wrecked it and then broke his arm and then another one had a fight at school and blah de blah blah Yeah, and see, this is when, like, the whole heroin house would have been interesting to bring up. <laughs> yep, no, that's not part of this book, except for that one scene. It also would have been interesting, too, to see Chelsea and Jake without the kids right that doesn't necessarily make a family like you can have family without kids but jake doesn't want to abandon the kids and neither does chelsea so it would have been interesting to see how they interact more without that for lack of a better way to put it connective tissue but yeah he succeeds in getting the kids back and then (laughs) he dumps her again (sighs) yeah so they get the kids back they get home the kids want to throw a party and they have a party you know, with pizza and soda and all that stuff. And then that night, he dumps her. He says, I care about you, Chelsea. I care about you all very much. But a family, that kind of responsibility was never part of the plan for me. My role models were a drunk whose favorite pastime was punching his wife and a cranky womanizing workaholic who was married to his bench. 
I don't know how to do this. I think this is where he sort of forgets, or maybe it really wasn't that much of his childhood, we don't know, where his relationship with his mom and his stepdad is left out. It's like, but I thought they had a healthy, loving relationship. Did that not stay with you at all? I had one really shitty father figure and another pretty good father figure who wasn't perfect. The mom and stepdad? No, they don't exist. I think that's where I know we were talking a little bit earlier where you felt there was a disconnect with the mom's character. And I think this is where I had a disconnect with how she must have related to his life. Okay, she was a victim (laughs) to him, right? Because he had to protect her from the abusive dad. And then she was gone. (laughs) It's like she was not present really so much in the rest of his life because judge. Yeah, it's just weird, right? (laughs) Okay, so the mom really had a lasting positive impression on him. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. There's there's something that got left out here. Yeah, maybe something got edited out that we we don't get to read. But Chelsea takes this like a champ and she looks really upset. But she says, thank you for your honesty. If friendship is all you want, then we'll make it work just as friends. See, this is where I'm like, okay, the girl's desperate. (laughs) She clearly needs help bad enough to where she's like, it's fine. Because he, of course, still promises, like, I'll take the kids to soccer. I'll, if you ever need help with anything with the kids, I'll be there. And she's just like, yes, I need someone to help me and no one else will. (laughs) Well, that's not necessarily fair, Em, because he finds out that his friends, uh, Stanton and Sophia, are going to babysit the kids because Chelsea's going on a date. Like, she ran into him on a date with Brent, whatever that weird friend that's lurking around is named. Yeah, Brent's girl's friend. They were on a double date. So she runs into them and is like, okay, well, clearly he's moved on. So I'm going to move on. But Jake kind of talks himself into babysitting for the kids instead of Stanton and Sophia. And Chelsea's kind of surprised by this, but rolls with it. It turns out she went out on a date with Codwell. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad that she was able to call, was it Stanton and Sophia? I wonder if in that moment too, because she's like, okay, all right. And then clearly she doesn't call him. But maybe in that moment before she was just trying to not make a scene. And you get like this little insight too, when she comes back from her date with Tom, she goes and talks to Jake and is like, what is your problem? You can't be making the kids dislike the guys I go out with. She also says, which I think is telling, believe it or not, Tom actually finds me attractive. Yeah. She's under the impression that Jake just isn't into her. But then Jake says, no, I do want you. I'm a jerk. I'm an idiot. He kisses her. She kisses him back. And it's like she's going to take him back again. And then he goes, oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. This is a mistake. (laughs) No, I forgot. I'm supposed to be an asshole. Sorry. So exactly how many times does she take him back through the course of this story? Well, that's three. (laughs) Yeah. And we know there's a fourth one coming. They're exhausting. Yeah, Jake shows up again while they're all hanging out outside, thinking he's gonna talk to Chelsea, I guess, but Tom is there, and so he ends up taking the kids to the park. (laughs) 
A week or two goes by and then his friends stage an intervention and they're like, exactly why aren't you going out with Chelsea anymore? We don't understand this. You're just miserable. Yes, because Jake's been Mr. Grumpy Pants around the office and snapped yes. at the, his, his dear sweet assistant who's, I guess, the most perfect little old lady assistant ever or whatever. Yeah. And Jake says, I don't know how to be a family man. They, they start quizzing him about things about the kids like how much formula does Ronan drink and how many words does Reagan know and what's Rosaline's favorite color etc and he knows all these things and then Stanton says well you're already a family man and Jake says but I don't know what the hell I'm doing and Stanton says none of us do (gasps) gasp (laughs) (laughs) which is the big secret of parenthood just adulting in general (laughs) we're all faking it yes (laughs) nobody fucking knows what they're doing enjoy the ride (laughs) we have alcohol and cookies as jake is having this epiphany moment he's getting ready to go run to chelsea and his boss shows up and says oh so unfortunately mrs holton fell down a flight of stairs <laughs> uh code for punch bag. the police arrested senator holton and i'll need you to head down to the precinct to assist him with any interrogations uh-huh. fuck yourself <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's basically what jake says might i suggest some implements <laughs> he's like i'm quitting bye now <laughs> And before he goes over to Chelsea's house, he stops by Tom Caldwell's office and asks Tom to give uh, Mrs. Holton his number and that he's willing to help her with anything she might need because... I have a conscience. He quit his job. (laughs) Jiminy Cricket, real fucking loud in my ear. (laughs) Then he gets to Chelsea's place and they make up again and they're kissing and Chelsea looks at him and she looks happy and then she's all, oh wait, you do this a lot. (laughs) I've learned after how many times, (laughs) but she learns. And then Jake says, I love you. And Chelsea says, am I just supposed to forget the last few weeks? The things you said, how cold you've been. The fucking roller coaster, dude. Jake says, I was kind of hoping you would. (laughs) Yeah. Could you just have like amnesia? Because that would really work for me. (laughs) And she says, don't hurt me again. Don't pull away from me again. And he says he won't. And so... Do we believe it? Yay, they're back together. (laughs) And now they talk about the future and decide he's going to move into the house and they're going to renovate and turn her bedroom into the master and use the master bedroom that no one has touched since the parents have died into a family room. Yeah, an absolutely, like, eclectic family room with the boy band fat heads and was it rainbow or pink butterflies on the wall and monster trucks i don't remember it was a lot of a lot of interests i don't even know at this point (laughs) it's like a nightmare and then we get an epilogue one year later he's opened his own practice with his friends that he's been working with and so they each have a corner office and he's at the wedding of stanton and sophia and he's engaged to chelsea and everything's just perfect and wonderful the end Yay! We made it! We did! Woohoo! Go us! So one of the big things in this story is that we only get Jake's point of view. We don't get anyone else's point of view in this story. And I think it's to this story's detriment because we don't really know anyone else. Yeah. 
I mean, there there's some things that the author does really well. Like, you get a good sense, I think, of where the kids are. But Chelsea is a real mystery. And that's a problem. Yeah, I just don't know who she is. It really felt like a one-sided story. And it was kind of funny to me because I've read plenty of, of romance books where we only get the heroine's point of view. And it was fine. Why do you think it's different in this case? I think the author didn't give us enough clues. I think in the books that we've read together and the ones I've read on my own, where you get one point of view, we get a lot of clues about the people that that character is interacting with. The expressions on their face, the way they're acting, the subtext to what they're saying and I just didn't feel like we got a lot of that with Chelsea yeah, I don't think we did either not to compare too much but even like the boyfriend material oh, that we right. read it was all one character's point of view but I fell in love with the other character yeah you really got a sense of both of the characters in that relationship and in this story it feels like it's the Jake show. Yeah, it feels like it's Jake's fantasy show. Throughout the story, we get a sense that one of the major themes is being a man or learning to be a man, the need for someone to have a strong male role model. And I kind of felt like it didn't pay off. We get some good good mirroring with Jake's relationship with mm-hmm. the judge versus Jake's relationship with especially Rory. Yeah. You know, the troublemaker with the older legal dude helping them out. Mm-hmm. I still don't understand why Jake doesn't think he can do it. Like, why does he think that he can't step up and be a family man? We know that Jake's dad had anger issues. We know Jake has anger issues. Maybe that's the reason. I mean, we're not given a lot in the story to to help with that. You know, this is where maybe some of the struggles that his mom and Owen went through with him could have filled in that gap because there must have been struggles yeah I really feel like there's a big piece of the pie missing here I think if if that had been flushed out a little more then we'd have a better reason to understand why he feels insecure and he thinks he's inept he isn't clearly he's doing quite well yeah and we get a really good sense of his pattern you know this is how he lives his life These are his personal rules that he set for himself. But we don't really get a good idea as to why it's like that. No. And I think that's what the story is lacking as far as that goes. I think there needs to be more of a why. Why is he like this? And the background that we get isn't sufficient for me. No, it isn't sufficient for me either. What did you think about the whole, not just, not so much women's sexuality, but the whole notion of female innocence? Because we have a lot of female characters in this story. Yeah, we do, but they're not really well-rounded, are they? They're all, well, we don't really know about Sophia. Maybe I would feel differently if I had read the first book and knew a bit more about her. But every other female character that we get multiple scenes with is kind of a victim. Well, I guess what I was getting at was there's that scene, which we kind of glossed over where Jake tucked Rosalind in and is like he just wanted to keep her innocent forever but then earlier when Chelsea goes out with Luke and then when Riley has those issues with the boy that she likes it's sort of oh oh keep her innocent keep her innocent but the whole problem is if you keep them innocent they won't know so then they'll (laughs) get caught in those situations and then they'll be a victim yes (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't know. This story, it kind of paints women as victims to me. Yeah, and how society sets them up that way with the, oh, she's such a sweet little girl. Let's keep her innocent forever. Right. I, I get what you're saying, I think. It sounds to me like, in the story at least, they want to put the female character in a bubble. This is your special bubble where you're protected from everything. And then if they inadvertently pop the bubble or get out of the bubble, then they're in trouble because they don't know what to do. And then they need Jake to save them. Yep, basically, which he's been doing since he was eight years old. What did you think about the audiobook this time? The audiobook was narrated by Sebastian York, and I think overall he did a really good job. I really felt he was Jake. (laughs) I hope he's not. Sorry. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's a harsh thing to say. I don't want to be mean. It's good. It's good when an actor can make you hate them. Oh, he did. That means they do a good job. <laughs> yeah, he really embodied that character. He did a good job with Chelsea, too. I think the problem was is Chelsea's just not really fleshed out. Are you happy for their happy, Em? I accept their happiness, and I hope they don't break up again. <laughs> that's all i gotta say what about you you happy for their happy i feel bad for the kids (laughs) you know that's one thing we didn't really touch on is that and not that chelsea really has much of a choice i guess because jake just kind of inserts himself in her life And she's so desperate for assistance, she just says, yes. If you're a single parent, isn't it like a thing to want to protect your kids from significant others entering and exiting your life unless they're serious? Yes. But this doesn't happen in this book at all. No. (laughs) You are right on both (laughs) And Jake enters and exits at will. (laughs) I agree that I don't want them to break up again because I feel bad for the children. And Chelsea sure needs the help. Yeah, she needs the stability. But I'm not really happy for them. You know, I know we're not supposed to be rooting for Caldwell the goody two-shoes, but I sort of feel like in some ways that would have been better. Except she didn't have the chemistry with him. I don't even know how much chemistry they really had together as characters. I, yeah, I just, I guess I just feel ambivalent about them being together, really. The only reason I'm happy they ended up together is because I'm happy the kids have some sense of hopefully normalcy in two adults. It's hard to tell because, I mean, the times where he's broken up, he just does it seemingly kind of out of the blue. Just like, no, wait, I'm out. Yeah, it's odd. Given that it's from his point of view, it seems strange when it's really out of the blue. With that in mind, how do you rate Jake? (laughs) I said he was awful. It's so irritating to me because he, the snark stuff, I genuinely most of the time thought it was funny. Yes, me too. However, especially in the beginning, like the first half-ish of the story, he objectifies her so much that I'm just... It's off-putting. Yes. And I could not get over that. I guess this is a pet peeve of mine. The whole, like, he can do everything because he's the hero. He is the knower of all things. He is like a god among men. Basically. And I'm just like, uh, blah. (laughs) (laughs) It's not very entertaining for me. What about you? How did, how did you rate? Oh, I rated him awful. (laughs) Yay, we're the same. I wanted to like him and I did that thing that I do where I, I start out the book making excuses. Yeah, I think you do that more than I do. You know, like, well, he could grow from this. 
he could learn from this because so often in books they do you know they start out awful and you go you learn more about their backstory and they get a bit more depth and you kind of understand why they were acting the way they were acting and it all makes sense yeah he doesn't really have a character arc despite the fact that the story's about him yeah we don't really get any of that from him i still am confused as to why he kept breaking up with her i still don't there get has it to be drama in the story i guess I mean, the only thing left okay. for, for Jake to fix was himself. Basically, yeah. How did you rate Chelsea? I just put mostly awkward. I wouldn't necessarily say she's awful. It was just I needed her to be a person. <laughs> she's the good girl to a detrimental degree. She cares so much. She forgives so much that it's just almost unrealistic, especially how easily it happens. What about you? <laughs> I rated her Chelsea Who. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I did not get a very good sense of Chelsea in this book. I think the author could have done more to let us know who Chelsea is other than a sex object. Yes. And there are some some little hints and clues there. You know, she she goes to bat for the kids multiple times. She apparently has some anger issues even. That we find out, you know, when the kids are endangered. She's a very forgiving person. Oh, like her anger comes <laughs> out when, when like the whole house woke up and had like a bad day. And she's like, everybody go to your room. There were times when I felt really sorry for her. I really felt for her. I could relate to her situation, but I didn't really relate to her. And I think a big part of it is that I just don't really understand why Jake's in love with her. Is it just because she's hot? Yeah. I don't feel like he knows who she is either. He doesn't care because she's hot. I guess. She's hot and he likes the kids. Yeah. Speaking of, I'm going to deviate a little bit. How do you rate the children? Oh, I did not rate the children. <laughs> I didn't think that was the thing we were doing. We're doing this on the fly. Oh, no, I'm not prepared. I'd say the kids are awesome. I think they were well written. I think they're a large reason why I enjoyed the book, frankly. <laughs> what about you? How would you rate the kids? I thought they were awesome too. And it's funny because in a lot of books that have children, I hate the kids. <laughs> they're like caricatures of children or they're just annoying or they feel like they're inserted to be cute or something like this. And these children felt realistic to me. I really liked them. I thought they were well done. Yeah, I did too. Going back to the audiobook element, I thought York did a really excellent job with the kids, and I attributed a lot of the reason that I liked them to, to his performance, although hearing that you also really like them based on the Kindle version that you have, that just goes to show you, or show someone, how awesome these kid characters were. Totally. So what about the antagonists in this book? Oh, that's the hero, and I said awful. Although, I guess as an antagonist, he's good. <laughs> So is he effective? <laughs> At antagonizing himself? Yes. <laughs> I mean, technically, I guess there are because there's the child protective services. I agree with you that, like, I think that was supposed to be a bigger moment than it ended up feeling like it was. And maybe if that was yes. a bigger moment and took up more space on the page, then we wouldn't have had to have Jake be like, I want to be with you. No, I don't. Yes, I do. No, I don't. Maybe I do. Oh, wait. No, I'm kidding. I still don't. Wait, take me back. I need yeah. you. <laughs> I mean, love you. I mean, I want to fuck you. I mean, I don't know what I mean. Eh? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. but yeah, it's basically Jake. What about you? <laughs> you usually have a list. 
I do have a list, <laughs> but it's more like I love it. evil people in this world versus antagonists. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm on the crap on Jake. This time. Jake party. Because, okay, so there's his crappy clients. There's Milton Bradley, who, you know, he keeps getting in trouble. And then there's Holton, who's a horrible, evil wife beater. Yes. There's his boss, Jonas who is friends with a horrible evil wife beater. Yes, enabler of the wife beater. There's Mr. Smead, who's the director of the CSFA, which I, you know, like you brought up, that could have been a lot bigger than it was. Yeah, like maybe it could have tied into the senator. Yeah, or something. Or, or maybe Caldwell's not such a nice guy. These people, they weren't really antagonists, really, because they didn't really do anything. They were just annoying for Jake. Yeah. What about even Jake's dad? Yeah. I mean, Jake was able to handle all of it. You know, he stands up to them and he's like, no, I'm not taking your shit. Boo, I win, you lose. And so I do agree with you. Jake really is the only antagonist in this book. And he antagonizes himself with his will you, won't you waffliness. And I just don't understand it. And <laughs> write the, wish I did. Write the waffle butt thing in the notes. <laughs> yes. I forgot about that. Jake the waffle Yeah, butt. I have under Jake. I have waffle butt and a jackass of all trades. Yeah, but for me, I don't think he was effective as an antagonist either. I think he was just annoying. A malicious fly. Kind of, yeah. How would you rate the book as a whole from one to five? A lot of the reason that this book got the rating that it did was because the kids were awesome. Because trust me, without them, this book would have been rated a lot lower. I gave it a three. Oh, okay. What about you? How did you rate the book? I rated it a three as oh. well because it was fine. Same rating again. <laughs> I know, we match. Yay, us. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked reading it. It was fun. It was easy to read. I got through it. There were plenty of parts that were funny. The kids were awesome. Yeah, the humor in the kids. If it didn't have those. Yeah, if it was just we're in Jake's head and it's not funny and there's no kids, then I would, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been texting you, can we read a different book this time? <laughs> Which we've done. Yeah. So, did you feel romanced? Not really. Aww. A lot of times I'll talk about the sex at this part of our show, but... And I feel like the sex scenes were hot. They, they had potential, but... A lot of them are. It just wasn't really romancy to me. Like, it just felt like Jake was masturbating in his head and we got to read about it. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. This book was just one long jerk-off for Jake. A jake-off. Anyway, um... <laughs> Oh, I apologize. What about you? Did you feel romanced? <laughs> yes, I totally felt romanced. No. <laughs> no. I mean, the sex scenes, of course, they're a part of the romance, but they're not necessary, you know, as far as it really is the characters. And I just, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't make excuses for these characters early on. I sort of like put a pin in it and we're like, we'll see where this will go. Oh, look, some more sad. <laughs> Would you say that you were romantic off? I don't think I felt that strongly. Fair enough. <laughs> I just kind of wasn't into it. It wasn't my thing. Yeah, not my thing either. What about you? Uh, I got a little irritated over the frequent objectification because I'm like, dude, I don't, yes. I don't care what her tits are doing. I just don't. Sorry. But they're swelling over her top. Especially when she's like in the middle of 
feeding a child or comforting a child or doing any of these like maternal things. I'm like, I just, no. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. What else have you been reading? (laughs) Interesting segue. I recently finished a book by Caroline Pratt, who was an educator. Like she went to teaching college in like the 1890s. And the book is called I Learned from Children. I'm laughing because I know what you're recommending. And this just goes to show that we read very different things (laughs) a lot of the time. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, I actually was telling Jen about this book. FYI, I did get permission from her to use her actual name because she has been reading up on this thing called unschooling. Oh, yes. That's basically what Caroline Pratt was teaching in her school and the benefits of that. It was super interesting to read. It's super accessible, which you may not think of because you're like, oh, 1890s, 1920s, or I think she actually wrote the book in the 1950s. So her teaching career spanned, I think, a really interesting time frame in U.S. history. Yeah, it sounds like it. And it's interesting to all of a sudden hear about, oh, yeah, the coal trucks. (laughs) And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) Coal? Oh, right. That was a thing. No, coal is dirty and bad yeah. now. But it, it's it's interesting. <laughs> there is some terminology that doesn't carry over, like with referring to certain groups of people, certain games kids don't play now. You know, there's certain like dated or things where our culture has evolved and, and things like that. For some readers, that may be enough of an issue to where it's a deterrent. That's sort of on an individual basis. At any rate... <laughs> So what are you reading? (laughs) You know, I'm not going to write down the titles anymore if you're going to be all teehee about it all the time. This is the first time I've done It's just because it's (laughs) so funny. (laughs) It is, actually. Okay, so this book is very timely, and it was actually uh, published in March of 2021, so this (laughs) year. And it's titled Alien Quarantine Rescue (laughs) by Robin Lovett. (laughs) Yay, alien overlords! Please come save us. And (laughs) so people on Earth have been plagued with the Birona virus. (laughs) Amazing. Which has killed half of the Earth's population. (laughs) That part isn't funny. It has mutations. So basically the way you set it off in yourself is if you interact with someone else and the two mutations interact, and then that kills you. And so this woman has been living alone for five years. Her only contact with the outside world is like, it's not Zoom, but basically like Zoom calls with her friends, who also have all been living alone. Because if you touch anyone or come into contact with anyone, you could potentially both die terrifying yeah the government has devolved into um you know might makes right type of thing okay so she's hanging out and one day the spaceship lands in her yard and a hot naked silver alien comes off the ship and he doesn't really speak english except give antibodies and guess how he gives antibodies em i'm i'm (laughs) with his penis (laughs) <laughs> I was trying to think of something funny to say, but nothing happened. There's nothing funnier than that. 
Well, yay antibodies. This is one of those books where I read the synopsis and I thought, wow, this has got to be terrible. I must read it. And you know what? It's actually hilarious. (laughs) And it's well written. Yay. Extra yay. (laughs) And I mean, there's some things that... Okay, so there is a subset of alien romance books where there's a lot of, uh, we'll call it fluid play. That's not really my thing at all. It's not your thing. This book has a lot of fluid in it. Alrighty. But in spite of that, it was still great. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. (laughs) And that silver alien could give me antibodies and I'd probably be happy. (laughs) Woohoo! Like I said, come on, alien overlords. We await you. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that's it for this time. Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com, for show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. Join us next time when we discuss Real Men Knit by Kiwana Jackson. Bye. Bye. Oh gosh, you know what that reminds me of? That one romance book where it was like a dinosaur? Oh yeah. Did you ever read that? I know you said you wanted to. Not yet. It's on the list. <laughs> you have to tell me when you read that. You do know I like my weird stuff. <laughs> hey, no judgment.